Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include vacant housing, my interview with Kiranos' John Sayer on key data points from the residential lending markets and how lenders are utilizing that data to make more informed decisions, and rates finally take a breather. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Notary Cam. Notary Cam is a rock star in the world of online notarization and mortgage closings. With more than 1 million happy customers across all 50 states and 146 countries, they're the true MVPs. The Reclose 360 platform is like the blue angels of mortgage closings, handling online scenarios with grace, precision, speed, and confidence. Unrivaled identity verification, Fort Knox level security, and customer ease make it the GOAT. I dance like people wish they weren't watching. (laughs) Sure, someone is watching, and apparently counting empty houses. Lack of available housing inventory has helped keep housing costs high throughout many of the nation's big cities. But nearly 5.5 million homes sit vacant across the nation's 50 largest metropolitan areas. The average vacancy rate across these 50 metros is 7.22%, with New Orleans at 13.9%, Miami at 12.7%, and Tampa at 12.2%, having the highest vacancy rates. Vacancy rates are lowest in Minneapolis, Austin, and Washington, D.C., the only metros in the study with vacancy rates below 5%. And just because an area has a high vacancy rate doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with its housing market. Roughly one quarter of vacancies are due to being empty for rent, one-fifth because they're only used part-time, and one-twelfth because they're being repaired or renovated. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back onto the show Kiranos' John Sayer to talk about key data points from the residential lending markets and how lenders are utilizing that data to make more informed decisions. He's VP of Client Management and Business Development for Kiranos, which is the leading provider of real-time comparative loan pricing and origination information for the mortgage industry and targeted consumer lending verticals. He helps clients assess their competitive position, identify market opportunities, and positively impact share, margin, risk, and operational execution. Over the past couple of years, I've had you on this podcast four or five times, and I should say I I very much enjoy. And I know listeners enjoy hearing the timely insights about the mortgage market from the Kiranos market data set. For those listeners that might not have heard you previously, John's company Kiranos sources loan origination data directly from lenders every week to create a benchmark for lenders to understand their lending performance. Kiranos also provides rate surveys for the mortgage industry. So John, perhaps for our conversation today, we can go in a couple directions. I'd love to hear some key data points you're seeing in the mortgage market first, but then learn a little more about how lenders actually use your data every day. Uh, absolutely. Thanks so much, uh, Robbie, for having me again. I'm I'm pleased to uh, share some real-time insights, uh, some some interesting things, and, and get into the weeds around what I'll call the discipline of margin management as it relates to price position and how we at Kiranos enable that analysis. Um, all this is timely, as you know, uh, as we're meeting s- shortly here in Philadelphia next week at the MBA National Conference, and and uh, I'm sure uh, many of our current and, and prospective clients' margin management and some of this market data is going to be front and center. Uh, of course, any of your listeners who are interested in getting together at the conference uh, are welcome to hit me up for a meeting time. I uh, love to engage people and and all that. But uh, that said, Robbie, I I understand that you're in uh, the Dallas area today. Is that right? 
I am in Dallas for the uh, UT versus Oklahoma football game. And since this is airing on Monday after the game, I should say, wow, what a great Horns win from this past weekend, huh, John? Editor's note, this did not turn out to be true or come to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, it's 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 really a special game that the Oklahoma UT game and I'll, I'll, I'll favor the burnt orange and go hook them horns and, and uh, pretty excited about, about that. I, I might sneak into the game myself. Yeah. Well, well, I think a lot of people go just for the, the state fair, which happens outside the cotton bowl and it's famous for its fried food. Are you, are you a uh, Frito fried Frito pie guy, fried beer, deep fried <laughs> Oreos? What's your, what's your go-to? I think I think the deep fried s'mores would be oh. near the top of my list, and I don't know. I think I had a couple of too many corn dogs last time I went, so I may pass <laughs> on that. Well, good. Let's let's not spend too much time on that, though. Let's let's get back to uh, some of the data here. And and now that sure. we're into October, there are three quarters on the books for 2023. What can you tell us? Is there any good news, or at the very least, any silver linings? Well, I looked hard, uh, actually, and there are a couple items of interest I'd be um, put in the category category of good news. Uh, first, uh, FHA purchase loan lending. Uh, FHA purchase loans in particular have been strong this year. Uh, we're seeing some states uh, with significant year-over-year growth on the retail side and growth actually also in the correspondent TPO market for FHA purchase loans. I've heard FHA purchases have been a strong point for many companies. So what states are you seeing those FHA loan increases in? Sure, it is different uh, significantly state to state, but we are observing in the retail side uh, for, we just mentioned Texas, Texas and Florida are both up 18% year over year. That's the first three quarters of 2023 as you compare to the same period in 2022, Florida, Texas up about 18%. Uh, which is awesome for uh, those loans. Also, Arizona coming in at a 20% increase, Utah 16%, and uh, North Carolina uh, around 9% increase year over year. Well, that's on the retail side. What about the correspondent side of things? A similar story, but I would say even greater growth for FHA purchase loans on on, on the correspondent side. I'm assuming uh, more lenders uh, are selling servicing release given market pressures and and those accounts um, really for the greater growth on the correspondent side, I think. In fact, uh, for correspondent, uh, we're seeing Arizona and Nevada both up 33% year over year. Um, North Carolina, again, 35%. Utah, winner, winner, up 45%. Uh, of course, have to mention Florida and Texas up 30% each. Even Colorado with Coach Prime there is up 25%. (laughs) (laughs) Although I doubt he took out an FHA loan in Boulder, uh, but but who knows. Uh, uh, That said, uh, really, uh, I have to say the Northeast and Midwest are not as robust as the West, Southwest, and the Southeast. And then for VA loans, just as a footnote, uh, we're seeing... Um, the top performers there again in Texas and Florida with uh, up about 20% of, up uh, year over year. That 45% number in Utah is staggering. So that's that's good to hear. But by omission, I'm assuming the conforming products and jumbo loans are a different story. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, conforming jumbo, not so good. 
Uh, I won't get into those numbers. I'm sure everybody's feeling that every day. Uh, but I will share some interesting shifts we are seeing with portfolio lenders in the jumbo and non-conforming products. Uh, the headline I would share is that portfolio lenders have become much more selective about what they put in portfolio, Robbie. Uh, very little in the way of tightening the credit box, but definitely a focus on two types of borrower categories uh, that are really on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, the first side uh, where we're seeing that portfolio action, if you will, is on the affordable, first-time home buyer, diverse markets uh, segment, if you will. Uh, that continues to be a huge focus. Uh, we're seeing uh, consistent growth. Uh, a good example is on the credit union side. I just got back uh, yesterday from the ACUMA conference and um, had many conversations with credit unions around their affordable lending products, which, as you well know, include many low down payment or even no down payment uh, features. Um, and then, of course, we have banks uh, that are super CRA focused. Uh, interestingly, when you think about one side of the spectrum, the, the affordable spectrum, if you will, the other end of the spectrum that banks and others are uh, focusing on big time and leaning into is borrowers that bring additional value points to their balance sheet. So specifically, jumbo loan borrowers have assets on account with the bank or borrowers that have a potential to move deposits to a bank are a huge focus and make up a growing percentage of what they're doing. Um, when I'm sure you've heard of Robbie, the doctor's loans or medical professionals, that fits right into that narrative. Borrowers that bring additional value potentially into the relationship. Um, bottom line, uh, if a bank is willing to make a portfolio loan right now for mortgage, they're increasingly wanting additional points of value to do so. And basically, it's the question, you know, what's in it for them besides the loan itself? You know, what else is the borrower going to bring to the table? You know, when I had worked at SoFi, it was it was a big deal to figure out how we could capture the customer for life and, and offer them products at various points in their life cycle as a borrower. And so that that's good to hear that uh, more and more companies are, are looking at it holistically that way. But John, anything to share on the home equity lending side? I'm hearing more and more about non-traditional lenders, including those fintechs and mortgage banks making some noise in that space. Uh, yeah, you nailed it. Uh, big picture, I would say that home equity lines of credit are down somewhat this year, um, given that rates have ramped up. Uh, one year ago, home equity lines of credit were running about 6%. Now you're looking at nine and a quarter percent which of course is better than credit card debt, but certainly much higher. Uh, so a little bit of dampening, if you will, for new lines of credit. Uh, but you know, borrowers are reacting to that and, and shifting a bit, uh, knowing that those line of, lines of credit, that the rates could go up over time. Uh, so not surprisingly, the alternative, which is a closed end fixed rate second, uh, or that loan is experiencing a revival of sorts. Uh, in fact, home equity loans, not lines, but loans, are up 75% so far this year in 2023 versus the same period 2022. Repeating that, 75% increase in home equity loans year over year doesn't make up as much of the pie, but it's certainly increased considerably. Um you know, I, I consider, I, I think that's going to continue, uh, given that rates continue to rise, borrowers trying to lock in a fixed rate. 
Well, what about the impact that fintechs and mortgage banks are making in that space? Yeah, absolutely. They're making an impact in the home equity segment. Uh, I'm I'm sure uh, many of us have witnessed uh, some of those fintechs uh, becoming uh, on the top list of originators. Uh, lots of activity you're hearing around the securitization side of the market, where some of those originators are placing loans, uh, which is awesome to see. Uh, it's it's very heartening to see an emerging capital markets play in the home equity space, adding liquidity giving another execution op- option and really affording mortgage banks and fintechs uh, the opportunity to participate in the home equity lending market when the cash out refinance um, option uh, might not be as uh, financially attractive to a, um, a borrower. Well, maybe it begs asking, is credit union and bank appetite for home equity loans being impacted around credit concerns? You know, that's a, a great question, Robbie. Given ongoing worries about a recession, recession, we keep on hearing that a recession may happen. I guess if you keep on saying that it might happen, it eventually will. Uh, maybe not this year or next, but uh, eventually. But we keep a super close eye on our loan servicing data. We have monthly updated servicing data for home equity lending. Um, we we capture a significant portion of the outstanding home equity loans on servicing performance. Uh, of special interest that we monitor is utilization rates on credit lines. Uh, that could be a sign of trouble. Somebody starts utilizing their loans, uh, their their lines, which you want, uh, but you don't want it for the wrong reasons. And then, of course, delinquencies. Uh, we're watching really closely delinquencies on lower credit score borrowers. Uh, you know, we could have an entire hour conversation on what we are seeing on the home equity uh, side on on portfolio and originations. It's It's really fascinating. Yeah, definitely sounds like a good future conversation for us. But I want to switch back to something you mentioned at the top of the conversation, and that's the discipline and discipline of margin management as it relates to pricing loans. So let's talk about that a little bit. And certainly margin management's taken on vastly greater importance in this mortgage market with increased price pressures given lower volume. Margins have uh, compacted big time. What does margin management mean in the context of the Kirinos data? Uh, sure, uh, sure. Uh, first, I'll I'll just give a, a disclaimer or a confession. Uh, personally, uh, I was in the secondary marketing side for many years, spent probably 90, 95% of my time on the loan sales, hedging, delivery, investor relations, and all that. Probably only spent 5% of my time on what I'd call the buy side, or basically where we would price loans and determine margins. If I knew then what I know now, I definitely would have dedicated more time to margin management. Uh, For many lenders, uh, margin management, I've learned, is a totally separate uh, from the secondary marketing side and really a discipline unto itself. Uh, I've been at Curinos about six years now and really had the opportunity. It's been great to, to learn from colleagues that have been margin managers for years and also work with hundreds of lenders day in and day out. And and just scratching the surface here, uh, but for today, just think of margin management in the Kyrenos context is starting with three main questions. So question number one, what's my price position? So think of this as the go-to-market price position, the strategy across the different products and loan attributes. Uh, are my adjustments correct? Am I positioned too high or too low 
where do I stand across products, loan attributes, markets, different scenarios? Uh, where am I? Uh, door number two, what's my price concession or price exception policy? Uh, what are the parameters around that policy? And then, super importantly, what are the resulting percentages of loans receiving concessions and how deep are those concessions? Uh, really understanding then how does my concession activity compare to the market? So where am I priced? Where's that sticker price on the car? What am I doing in terms of concessions? And then finally, after the dust settles, door number three, I've established my price position. I've had my concession. So now at the end of the day, how are my locked rates and how do they compare against the competition? So now I have insight to know where I started, what I conceded, and what is my position relative to others at the end of the day across markets and products. So being able to answer those questions, which you know, which is really what we're all about with the Kiranos data, lenders are able to observe their lending performance and then start to dynamically manage margins. Can you share some considerations that lenders should take into account on your first question around price position? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we've really found it difficult for lenders to understand their price position across loan attributes because you've got so many variables around loan amounts. Do I pass through loan, low loan, you know, low loan amount uh, payups, uh, credit scores, loan purpose? Uh, there's just many, many, you know, different geographies. It's almost impossible to know price position across all, all those variables. And without that in-depth analysis, a lender may have the same margin across all those different loan attributes. But the issue is that the lender's margin opportunity may be much different across those attributes and loan products. So I would really say the headline here is that margin opportunities on retail loan originations may not correlate to actually where a lender can sell loans. In other words, the buy side does not equate perfectly to the sell side. Well, you also mentioned price concessions, and I'm happy you did, because when I was managing a lock desk early on in my career, those were a, a big <laughs> source of frustration on, on both the sales side and the secondary marketing side. But you track that data as well, correct? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a newer data element for us, but we we certainly do. Uh, with the our real-time loan origination benchmarking data, we're getting exception data, both the frequency, how often does it happen, and then also the severity. What is What are the amounts of concessions? With the frequency and severity, you can figure out the impact across your entire uh, pipeline. And adding that transparency is, I just think, crucial to lender for lenders to understand how their policy and the behaviors that you just talked about uh, impact margins. Well, for your benchmarking, at least at a high level, how does that impact decision-making for lenders? Sure. I, I think the best example I could give you is when a lender makes a margin change and wants to know the outcome of that decision. Uh, traditionally, lenders have not been able to correlate their price position with loan origination outcomes. I mean, think about that for a moment, not being able to correlate price position with loan origination outcomes. I mean, that's 
Think of any other industry. Imagine if United Airlines or Southwest reduced fares and had a special promotion, but had no way of knowing whether that promotion worked. For the mortgage industry, since rates change every day, it's difficult to know whether if you had a 20% increase in volume following a margin reduction, for example, was that increase attributable to a margin move or was it just that the market was up in general? So really, you know, the question is, was volume up because of my margin move or was everybody else's volume up too? So really our benchmarking data updated every week solves that problem for lenders to be able to understand how they're doing. Data really is the name of the game when it comes to separating those companies that are going to exist even on the the other side of this market cycle uh, versus those that might have to consolidate or or go out of business. And it is certainly worthwhile for lenders to know if they're making prudent margin decisions. I'm almost amazed that that more don't take time to to spend more time with the data uh, to to get to a point where they really feel in control of it. And John, I'll close by saying, since many of the listeners of this podcast, many of whom will be attending the MBA conference, uh, I'm sure you wouldn't mind if they reached out to you for a conversation, right? Uh, yeah, anytime, certainly at the conference, we'll have a, a few of my colleagues and myself there uh, super fired up to go to Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, anytime uh, anybody wants to get into a conversation, love to have that and really appreciate you having me uh, here today, Robbie. Uh, hook them horns. Um, <laughs> and uh, go get Hook them horns, John. I, I appreciate you too. <laughs> Rates are, at least temporarily, down this morning, but we're still talking about the jobs data. Non-farm payrolls nearly doubled consensus expectations as 336,000 jobs were added in September, and the prior months were revised up. 70% of the increase could be attributed to the leisure and hospitality, government, and healthcare sectors. The unemployment rate, labor force participation rate, and average work week all remained at their August levels. A resilient labor market and rising wages put pressure on the bed, to keep rates in restricted territory. We also learned last week that the number of available jobs also increased unexpectedly to 9.6 million, led by a sharp increase in business and professional services. It is possible that the strikes involving major labor unions will add to wage growth later this year, although other non-union workers are likely to see slower wage growth in 2023 and into 2024. Elsewhere, manufacturing continued to contract for the 11th consecutive month in September, however, at a slower pace than prior months. The services sector grew for the ninth consecutive month, and production increased at a faster rate. Overall, inflationary pressure remains despite certain areas of the economy having contracted due to the Fed's tighter monetary policy. This holiday-shortened week for the bond market brings the $101 billion mini-refunding, e.g. the Treasury auctioning off securities, as well as updates on inflation, including PPI and CPI, inventories, and Michigan sentiment. The week is also heavy with Fed speakers, while the minutes from the September FOMC meeting will be released tomorrow. Regarding MBS, and besides today's Class A 48 hours, Class B net out is on Friday. We'll also see bank earnings, JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and PNC Financial, along with BlackRock. And today's economic calendar is already underway with NFIB small business optimism for September, which dropped to a four-month low, reflecting worsening expectations for the economy and credit conditions. Later today brings wholesale inventories and sales, a treasury auction of $46 billion of three-year notes, and no fewer than four Fed speakers. 
Now that the bond market is back open, we begin the trading week with agency MBS prices better than Friday's close by roughly a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 4.70 after closing last week at 4.78%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Sometimes we think we're committed, but we aren't. The chicken and the pig were discussing the matter through the barnyard fence. The chicken said proudly, I give eggs every single morning. I'm committed. Giving eggs isn't a commitment, it's participation, countered the pig. Giving ham is a commitment. Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Notary Cam, your closing partner for the perfect close. Ease of use, additional closing compliance, better borrower experience, reduced timelines and cost savings. What is stopping you from getting on the Ron train with Notary Cam? Thanks again to True for sponsoring today's podcast. To learn more about lending intelligence and True, visit True.ai. Make smart lending decisions fast with True. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at RobChrisman.com. Visit RobChrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.